Europe has uh, gone through a very difficult winter. Uh, there's definitely was been a lot of excitement, but we can generally agree that it was successful uh, transition, uh, uh, energy transition, uh, forced transition, but Europe managed reasonably well. Uh, there is some um, considerations that next year could be difficult, but uh, I assume that uh, generally most of the observers and experts believe that Europe is on good track also to go through the next year. Prices go going down. So I would say Europe is really managing situation well. But the question is, what happens on the other side? Europe's gas supply and energy supply was never imaginable without Russia and Gazprom. And there are not too many experts looking on the other side of the border uh, because it matters, I think, for global gas markets, but also generally to understand where Russia is heading. And there was a recent publication by Vienna Institute for International Economic Studies that has drawn my attention. There was particularly one article that was rather strong headline, Gazprom's Gas Exit by Andre Belli. And Andre Belli today is a guest in my podcast, and he is an associate professor at the University of Eastern Finland. He is really energy expert and really also knowing quite a lot what happens in Russia's gas sector. Andre, uh, welcome. And I would like uh, to start with a uh, back in a history. Why Gazprom played such an important role in the EU gas, but we can also say energy supply? What was the reason behind it? Hello, Andres. Uh, thank you for this introduction. And well, I would say Russia's gas exports to Europe have been increasing over the last three decades. And meanwhile, the European domestic production Plummeted. You remember Groningen peak production was about 200 BCM a year at some point? That's actually more than the maximal volumes of Russia's gas exports to Europe, which attained some 180 BCM, I guess. And in addition to that, uh, interfuel competition has also weakened, uh, particularly with a decline of coal generation uh, of coal use in power generation. And I would not still blame the EU or the European utility companies for having over-relied on uh, Russian gas in this context. In fact, we all observed kind of two competing paradigms or approaches in uh, Russian external energy policy. The first one is dominated by a market logic. We have even seen efforts or at least discussions about uh, Gazprom's export demonopolization. Uh, we saw Gazprom participating in European gas hubs on competitive basis via its daughter companies. And most of all, probably, we have seen that Gazprom agreed to implement all the requirements set by the European Commission after the EU antitrust investigation in 2019. 
But in parallel to that, there was a second approach, which also coexisted with this one in Russia, is this energy power approach, which actually pre-exists Putin in reality. As you remember, probably uh, Yeltsin's prime minister, Viktor Chernomerdin, from time to time referred to Gazprom as a sort of powerhouse of Russia. And uh, this paradigm of the energy power uh, gained an upper hand after 2012, practically after Putin grasped the domestic uh, power relations in Russia uh, on its third term after the Medvedev's presidency. So, I would say what Europe probably missed is not necessarily the dependence by itself, because look, the European Union has invested a lot in diversification infrastructure, the overall EU energy union concept uh, was very powerful instrument against any supply shocks uh, from any supplier, Russia or not. But what has, uh, the Europeans missed is that uh, this energy power approach at some point detached completely from gas sector logic. It went somewhere else. And when we recall all these controversies and debates about the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, whether to have it or not, proponents of the Nord Stream 2 were saying that it's a purely business project. Russia is still in the market-based approach, which was definitely failed understanding of the Russia's development. But this, the, their opponents who persistently said that, look, Nord Stream 2 will be used by Russia against Ukraine were somehow wrong as well, because Putin didn't await to uh, Nord Stream 2 certification to invade Ukraine. So Nord Stream 2 didn't play any role in the uh, game, let's say, like this. So. The energy power approach is a completely different sphere of policies, which definitely was not in the scope of those in Europe who dealt specifically with the gas sector. Yeah, no, yeah, it was a past. Uh, now we clearly can agree that uh, Gazprom's uh, uh, prime time in Europe is over. And you rightly described that the first line that was cut was uh, uh, export lamp via Poland. Now we could say Nord Stream is also over, but there are still two supply routes that continue, and there is in theory also uh, LNG. I always wondered the transit via Ukraine. So it sounds a bit uh, strange that Russia continues this transit in limited volumes, but still there is a war, they are attacking Ukraine, and still they are pumping gas via Ukraine system. Uh, what is behind it and what could we expect with gas transit via Ukraine? I would agree is a very strange or intriguing paradox because Russia did reduce Yamal Europe and Nord Stream, as we said, 
uh, and uh, didn't want to touch the Ukrainian uh, transit. Partly because it would exert a certain psychological pressure on Europeans to agree anyhow on a political compromise over Ukraine, meaning that give Ukraine to Kremlin. It's not really a compromise, but let's say abandoning Ukraine, let's say like this. Uh, and the transit, the transit via Ukraine could have been an instrument that uh, Kremlin used for that. Uh, by contrast is actually Ukrainian Naftagas who was forced to halt uh, one of the lines for safety reasons and uh, Gazprom rejected these safety concerns because as uh, we all know Russia does not define this invasion as a war so they didn't consider that the safety concerns raised by Naftagas are serious enough. Uh, so we have all expected that Gazprom might go further, like in 2009, when it has had disagreed back then with Naftagas, it cut all flows uh, via Ukraine. It didn't happen this time, partly because we guess that Russia needs budget and it cannot allow itself playing a too hard game with uh, the gas exports to Europe. Probably in Moscow some circles around Kremlin understand that um, they still need to keep the energy power instrument within the economic rationale. Yeah. Then there is another uh, direction that sometimes Russian analysts, I mean Kremlin analysts, say, well, Turk Stream now is a big deal. So we will make in Turkey big gas hub and we will approve, we will send gas to our clients via Turkey. How realistic it is? Because looking on the figures, it's the same level as Ukraine transit. Well, uh, I remember, well, you definitely remember it better than I do. Turkey has repeatedly raised an idea that Turkey would become a gas hub. Not in the sense of a European gas hub as a trading platform, but in a sense of an interconnection of different pipelines going from Central Asia, Azerbaijan, Russia, and perhaps even Iran. Uh, to what extent is realistic, time will show. What is important to bear in mind is whether uh, Russia will control this flow or will it become a route for diversification for the European supplies. So far, at this level of development, Russia has a leverage on most of the players in the region including Iran. So, so far, I cannot define it as a possible route for diversification. But in the longer term, why not? If I look on the volumes that Russia has lost uh, in exports towards Europe, it's immense. Uh, so there have been stories about gas being torched uh, close to St. Petersburg, 
uh, there have been other stories that a lot also is vented. But if I see at this stage, what does it mean for Russian gas production? Should they close the wells? Uh, should they increase domestic consumption? What are the tendencies in Russia? Because we clearly see the volumes will never go back to the scale in Europe. So what do they do right now? It's a very good question because uh, a lot depends, a lot depends on the effects of sanctions on Russian production. You remember this IEA report, which was issued in summer last year, indicating that Russia might lose up to up to 400 BCM of production by 2026, uh, which seems to be a very big number, considering that the annual production levels are about 600 uh, BCM a year. And of course, lack of exports, or let's say reduction of exports, lack of technologies, particularly of drilling technologies, lack of access to energy service for pipeline maintenance, all these issues play a significant role or significant factors against Russian uh, gas uh, industry, let's say like this. However, does it really mean that the levels of Russian gas production will collapse to that level? I'm not sure yet. Probably not. And uh, as uh, we often tend to say, uh, Russian economy is definitely too weak to solve its own domestic problems, but it's strong enough to cause problems in Europe and to keep this source of gas supplies for Europe, which is first of all a dividing factor in intra-European affairs to kind of like keep the window semi-open so there are some European policymakers, political forces, part of society who will be willing to cooperate with Russia and hence would agree to Kremlin's political terms. And that seems to be an explicit objective of uh, Russia's political establishment. There have been a lot of uh, interest when President of China visited Russia recently. So there have been announcements of friendship. But there was one area where people expected or analysts expected more uh, statements than actually happened. It was about increased gas supply to China because Russia always stated, well, we need to diversify or now saying we are going to East. And at the same time, there have been no new announcement of big project or additional volumes. How to explain it? Is there is some limits how far Russia could diversify gas supplies to China? Or perhaps China don't need so much Russian gas supplies at all? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's definitely something that we will have to observe in the near future. So far, at this very moment, I don't see many options for Russia to go to China. First of all, all the pipeline infrastructure which connects Russia's gas fields in Yamal are bound to Europe. There is nothing going from there to China. 
And uh, in recent years, there have been discussions about increasing gas production volumes, particularly in the Far East and Sakhalin region, but that requires again uh, access to uh, deep water drilling technologies, which are very often connected to the digital tools, which allow the producers to identify correctly where to drill, what volumes are going, what is the level of pressure, and these softwares do not work in Russia because of sanctions. So will Russia be able in these conditions to find alternative resources in the green fields, in new gas fields, under the regime of sanctions? Whereas the existing gas production is very far from China and is difficult to redirect the flows till China. And second of all, as you rightly say, China doesn't seem to be in rush to purchase Russian gas. It has imported 10 BCM of Russian gas last year, which is way below, like almost 10 times below uh, than what uh, uh, Russia exported to Europe. Now Russia and China agreed on additional 50 billion cubic meters, and uh, that's still three times below the pre-war levels of Russian gas exports to Europe. So uh, it's still very low volume. And finally, what is the price that China is ready to pay? Reportedly, Russia sold to China 10 billion cubic meters at a price which is five times below the level of European gas hubs in 2022. Well, true that it was like the maximal elevated gas price as well. But that gives us an indication that China will use this situation of Russia's isolation as an opportunity to get a good price. And that certainly creates an additional barrier to, uh, for Moscow in, diversifying, in diversifying its roads. And I would like to conclude with a, a title of your article, Gazprom's Gas Exit. We know that Gazprom is part of Kremlin's machine, so we don't believe that Gazprom will be just uh, abandoned or Gazprom will cease to exist as a name. But uh, your analysis shows that this loss of exports to Europe, basically Gazprom as an important force, of gas industry is ceased to exist, or still it's too early to say? I guess it's too early to say, uh, because uh, much depends on what's going to happen in Europe. To what extent the European member states are committed to implement the Repower EU plan, which aims at phasing out Russian fossil fuels from European markets by 2026, 
or shall we see a political change which is actually expected by Moscow, you can see it from various declarations and discourses, in order to break the unity within the European Union and particularly after the elections of 2024 uh, to slow down the implementation of the Republic of EU plan. And that much depends on that. So that's very interesting uh, conclusion that the future of Gazprom actually depends less from Gazprom activities, but actually from Europeans. If Europeans are successful in implementing Repower EU, then Gazprom's fate is sealed. If not, well, it to be seen. Thank you, Andre, for a very, very important conversation. And I hope that we will meet again because your expertise in the Russian gas sector matters and matters for geopolitics, matters also for Europe and matters also for the analysis how the world energy supply will develop. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for the conversation. Thank you.